Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 115 of Miss XG Music Podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part one of episode number 115 of my sexy music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, and Google Play Music, or on Spotify, if you're wondering. So what the heck is, I'm just give you a description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 24-year-old songwriter and producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd, and uh, each week with this podcast, I take one song by one artist from the 60s with the show in two parts. First part, I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks, and do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, lyrics, and the second part, I show dig deep into the history behind that track. In that part of the show, we talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, who are the musicians on the track, whether it be the studio musicians or the band members themselves, uh, the history behind the artists, artists that recorded the song, the producer, the producer, the, the writers that wrote it, and the history behind the musicians that played on the song, and what studio the song was recorded at, where that studio was located at, and the label the song was released on, where that label was located at. And the peak position of the song made up originally on the Billboard Hot 100 charts when it first came out. And the year month it was released, all that is in the second part of the show. Moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Um, okay, so one thing that I noticed about my podcast, and I was looking through a lot of my episodes, and there's one particular thing that I did notice. And that is that I have not done a single male-female duet throughout this entire podcast, throughout the over 100 episodes I've done of this show. Not one single male-female duet. And I'm like, wow, that's unbelievable. I can't believe I'm over 100 episodes of this podcast, and I still haven't done a single male-female duet. I'm like, damn, I really need to do one. <laughs> and look, I mean, I have my favorites when it comes to male-female duets of the 60s, and you know, some some are more successful than others. I mean, there were some male female female duets that just had tons and tons of hits. Um, and some, you know, they just had a couple hits. Maybe there were one or two hit wonder, or maybe they had three hits or two, or maybe one. I mean, a lot of them were one hit wonders. Uh, maybe they had one top ten record and maybe smaller top forty hits that only peaked at number twenty nine or thirty, thirty six. Um, and this is one of those duets that miraculously when you listen to these songs you would think that they they all made the top 10 that they were huge hits but they actually only pretty much scraped the bottom of the barrel in the top 40 uh chart on billboard and it's amazing to think about it because these songs are absolutely incredible and they're not here's the thing so the last couple of weeks on my podcast i've been doing a lot of you know what i did i did ray charles and he's incredibly well known a lot of people know who he is and to the circle who a lot of people aren't very familiar with, but of course you'll know the bands and artists that they're associated with, the them those artists being the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel. But uh, this particular group isn't really associated with any major artist or producer, 
you know, you know, he, the producer, the guy that produced a lot of their stuff isn't really well known to people today. And I, I guarantee you're not going to know this group at all, but they were really, really good. I promise you just because you don't recognize their name doesn't mean that you're not going to love their stuff. And I love their stuff too. And they're one of those groups that I didn't really discover until a lot later in my life. I never heard these guys growing up listening to oldies radio. I only pretty much heard them when I was listening to a satellite radio show on Sirius XM where the DJ was doing a countdown of the top 40 biggest duets of the 60s. And this was one of those songs on that countdown. And that's the first time I heard these guys. But the first time I heard these guys, they completely blew me away. I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the most incredible R&B male female duet records of the 60s. It sounds incredible. And I was shocked to find out that it didn't do very well on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. But man, this song kicks ass. It's just amazing. And for an R&B record, it's just slamming. I mean, the groove is fantastic. Ugh, I can't wait to dive in with this one. Okay, so this song came out during the summertime of 1968. It's by an artist named a du- male-female duet. Their names are Peggy Scott and Jojo Benson. The name of the song is called Lover's Holiday. song is just slamming seriously oh man this song slaps it is so incredible holy mackerel that groove i mean it's just unbelievably good this is probably one of the coolest r&b male female duet records of the 60s it is just amazing and i'm gonna talk about what makes this song so good both musically and lyrically but first let's get into the song's music Okay, so the one undeniable thing that is just so incredible about this song is just how amazing that groove is. I mean, first, let's just talk about that intro for a minute. You hear those drums come in, and they just sound so fat and so groovy, and they and the drummer just lays down that four-on-the-floor groove so well. I mean, and not only that, but when you hear those drums come in, you instantly hear that guitar come in. Now, here's the thing. So this song... I'm doing this week. It is the perfect example of Southern soul. Now, here's the thing. I when I did Ray Charles, I kind of did a good example of that because that was. But here's the thing. That's a little different because that's more country soul. This is just Southern soul. This is just 100% just, you know, down home, just really, really gritty, just so, you know, like not up up northern soul at all. It's not very sophisticated. There's no strings. There's no pretty backup vocalists. There's no vibraphones going on. There's no, you know, percussion. There's no Latin rhythms. It is just a straight down home groove being played by these musicians. And you can tell they're just even if they're the whitest musicians they could possibly be, you can tell that they're just trying to embody, you know, these the black musicians so well with this song. And that's what that's what you can kind of get from a lot of these Southern soul records they're not always black on black musicians some of them were just you know white guys trying to sound like black guys <laughs> and that is so true with a record like this because man that bass player when he just plays those fills in that song and that guitar player doing all those you know crazy little like guitar fills happening it's just an amazing song 
Now, one thing I have to point out to you about this particular record is that, yes, it's so cool. It's so good. But is the chord progression interesting? Well, guess what? It's not. You know, it's it's this song. Now, here's the thing. So this is a Southern Soul record. And a lot of Southern Soul musicians at the time weren't like the, the nerdiest when it comes to music theory. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could argue that there are some definitely some interesting chord changes in Southern Soul records. Case in point, a lot of the Stax hits that were coming out at around this time. But really, I mean, if you look at the genesis of it, there's not a whole lot of interesting chord changes happening in Southern Soul music. A lot of it is the most basic chord changes, a lot of triads, no major seven or minor seven chords. It's all more or less just, you know, it, it counts, sounds kind of country-ish, but really it's not like the three, four, it's not like the three, four country ballad. You know, it's not anything like that. And, and, and But again, I feel like a lot of the guitar playing in Southern Soul, it was modeled after country guitar players because there's a lot of licks happening. You know, in countries in Southern soul music, it's very there's a lot of, you know, not necessarily just straight chords, a lot of notes built on top of that. And a lot of guitar players playing, you know, almost not really arpeggiating those chords, but there a lot of times they're not playing the straight chords. A lot of times they're creating their own little two note riffs happening on top of those chords. And you'll notice a lot of that with this particular song. But like I said before, nothing too exciting happening here as far as the chord changes. I mean, literally, the entire first verse is one to six. And then when it gets to the pre-chorus, you, you hear that four chord come in, and then it's four, five, minor six, and you're like, okay, I get it. It's not necessarily the most exciting chord progression. And then it kind of does a build up from, you know, four or five minor six and then a four to five. And then it just, and then the chorus, it definitely does that again. It's not very exciting. One, four, one, four, one, four, one, four. And then it goes to the five at the end. And then it just happens again. I mean, look, you know, the song doesn't have the most amazing, interesting chord progression. It's just not, there. there's not much going on here to talk about. But man, I mean, just what I love about the song isn't necessarily chord progression, but the musicianship and the groove on this song is impeccable. I mean, the bass player is just cooking on this track. And also, uh, another thing I love about it is also the horn parts on this record, too. Though, that, that's kind of an interesting part of the song, because when you think of Southern Soul music, one instant thing that you kind of gravitate towards to are the horns. Because if you look at 90% of the Southern Soul hits that came out of Memphis and Muscle Shoals and, you know, and, and even this particular city where this song was recorded at, you'll notice that there's always a real strong emphasis on the horns. The horns are always going to be front and center. The horns are definitely going to have going to be the star of the show in a, on a lot of these records and it's so true because the horns are just so there they're so prominent and they just and they have such they play such a melodic most important role in a lot of these songs that sometimes you can't help but sing along to a lot of these horn parts that's how important they are with a lot of these records i mean oh these songs you know these southern soul hits recorded in memphis and muscle shoals and this city, I mean, just there, there's no denying the fact that the horns are just so there and they're so prominent. They're not really meant to be like a background instrument. I mean, you know, Northern Soul Records tend to have more of an emphasis on the strings and more percussion. But definitely with a lot of these Southern Soul hits, it was all about the horns. And this record is no exception to that rule. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. So another cool part about this song is 
isn't just the horns. You got the slamming rhythm played by the drums and you got the bass and you got the guitar just grooving with each other. I mean, you know, that that within itself is just very, very cool to listen to. But one other thing I want to point out to you, since we're doing a duet, uh, you know, you're not you're not just dealing with one lead vocal. You're dealing with two. And let's talk about the vocals for the song for a second, because even when you listen to the song, you can tell immediately who exactly is being the most dominant as far as singing is concerned. And you can absolutely 100% tell that the female in the song is being the absolute most dominant. And here's the thing. So a lot of duets from, you know, even in general, like male-male duets too. But, you know, a lot of times with male-female duets, there's always going to be one other one or two people is either going to be the guy or the girl who is going to be the more dominant one in the duet. Uh, there's one there's always going to be one person who's going to be the most overpowering over the other. And this is true in a lot of different situations. And sometimes they're of equal of, of power within each other. And they, they put out an equal amount of of, of, a, of a performance within a song. I mean, you know, but again, it's like, and here's the other thing about, you know, male-female duets. Uh, you know, there there's definitely the white version of the male-female duet. And then there's the black version of the male-female fe- <laughs> male, duet. And this is definitely the black version of the male female duet. I mean, you, you you can tell right away because in this song, you know, the, the 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 black guy is definitely trying to, you know, get in the groove with it by singing the lyrics of the song. But when that's happening, the girl is just screaming on the top of her lungs. I mean, her vocal is so on top of his. It's not even funny. I mean, it's just you know, here's the thing. You might not like that when you listen to this song. You might think this girl's vocal is just shit. Dial it down, lady. <laughs> You're really just so loud and so just almost kind of obnoxious, obnoxious sounding. And I'm like, OK, lady, please just dial it down. <laughs> I, I get it. You're a really powerful singer. But I mean, shit, it's just and that's when you li- when you listen to the song, you'll notice that immediately because her voice is just so powerful in the song. And she doesn't. And here's the thing is that she has kind of an Aretha kind of a voice. She doesn't necessarily have a, uh, you know, soft black female voice. She doesn't have like a some Diana Ross kind of a female voice or a Marilyn McCoo kind of female voice that's borderline white. I mean, she's full balls to the wall, 100% soulful, like male, uh, sorry, female black voice. That's what's happening in the song. You can tell almost immediately that she is just not letting up. I mean, man, she is just so, her voice is so prominent in this song and it's so on top of everything else. And here's the thing. You know, in this song, well, another thing I love about it is that there's a lot of dynamic interchange happening when the song starts out with the verses and then it goes to the pre-chorus and the chorus. You can tell that she is really just heightening that tension in the very last half of the pre-choruses. You know, she is just going louder and louder and louder as as a singer that you can tell that you just you just really want that anticipated release into the chorus. And even in the chorus, I mean, she is just like, wow. 
I mean, her voice is just like it, it, it's so high pitched and so ballsy and just so like Southern soul. So Aretha Franklin. They're like, man, OK, I get it. Dial it down, lady. I mean, it's just that's what it feels like when you listen to the vocals in the song. And look, you might not like it. You might think to yourself, OK, there's only so much of that singing I can take. But I guarantee you, if you listen to groups like Led Zeppelin and some of those other like rock and roll bands from the early 70s or what are, I guess the term when you call it classic rock, you'll notice that a lot of singers were singing a lot like her. Again, it's that real balls to the wall rock vocals that was pa- later on patterned by cats like Robert Plant, who later on later go on to join groups like Led Zeppelin. Again, it's a similar kind of a vocal style thing happening, you know, with guys like Robert Plant, that super balls to the wall, gritty, just in your face, like just you know, not even not even trying to sound remotely soft at all. I mean, that's what you're getting with, uh, you know, Peggy Scott's voice in the song. But it's just an incredible performance. I mean, and here's their thing. So, you know, with all that combined, you've got probably one of the greatest Southern soul records of the 60s. But just to give you an idea for what how, you know, the characteristics of Southern soul really it's all about the guitar parts because really one common thread you notice about a lot of Southern Soul songs is that there's always some interesting guitar playing happening. The guitar player isn't always playing the exact chords. Sometimes he's playing two note licks on top of chords and sometimes he's just doing like little like lead guitar riffs happening under those chords. There's always some, you know, interesting guitar playing happening with songs with Southern Soul songs. And again, the horn parts are always playing a prominent role with with song, with uh, with certain songs. Uh, southern soul songs you know there's always the horns are always going to be there the most important part about the song and really this is just a classic example of that because this was recorded in the southern state and you know the other thing about this song is that it was recorded in the southern state but the state wasn't the city that the song was recorded wasn't necessarily known for uh you know this kind of music and i'll talk more about that next week's episode but this song was recorded in the city that wasn't really known for this kind of music in the early 60s, but I'll talk about why it wasn't really known for that, uh, you know, in next week's episode of the podcast and why this this record even kind of even got to be made in the first place. But it's just it's an incredible sounding song. And now I'm going to get into what this makes the song so great mu- lyrically. OK, so look, I'm single, but let's just say you're not. Let's say you got a girlfriend. Right. And let's just say you've you and her for the duration of this entire COVID pandemic, you've been quarantined with her for quite a while. And let's just say, look at, you know, you've been quarantined with her for, for this thing that's been going on for at least nine months now. And you kind of want to get out of the house. You really, really want to, you and her just really want to just go somewhere and you could just, and the thing is, is that you and her, you really want to go somewhere and you want to just do it as safely as possible. You don't want to get yourself sick. You don't want to get her sick. You don't want to get anyone else in your family's sick. So let's just say, look it, you know, we, we both love each other. There's no question of that. But, you know, we, 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 I think we deserve a getaway. You know, we've been quarantined for you know, a long time and we've been staying at home and we just need to get out and we can, we can drive somewhere and it'll be nice and safe. We don't have to get on a plane and we can just take a lover's holiday. Well, if you're in that situation, I guarantee you're going to definitely relate to the song because it really is all about that. 
you know, I mean, the lyrics of the song are just so good because they talk about a couple just trying to get away, you know, trying to, you know, leave their place of residence and going somewhere else for a weekend or a day or two. And, you know, they know that, you know, the thing is, is that if they, the, the, one of the greatest lyrics in the song that is so cool and just amazing is, well, try not to overstay, but if we do, it's okay. And think about that for a minute, because let's just say, you know, you've been quarantined with it, with your girlfriend for so freaking long and you just want to get out of the house and, you know, and, he, and you guys rent an Airbnb and, you know, like, I don't know, two or three hours away from where you guys live. And you're like, shit, I just really want to leave the house and just go somewhere else and be outside of my re- of our residence. And we'll, we won't try to overstay at our Airbnb. But look it, we've been stuck in quarantine forever. And if we over and if we do overstay at our look at our Airbnb that we are going to, then it's okay because we know we just need as much time away from where we live as possible. And look it, if you, if you, the, the song was written and recorded 52 years ago. And if you look at that lyric and you, and you draw a direct line to that sort of lyric and to right now with what's happening right now with the COVID pandemic, I mean, oh my God, it's just so relatable. And look, you don't have to be a, uh, you know, uh, what, you know, uh, a, a baby boomer to really get that lyric. You could be a millennial. You could be around my age. You might not have ever heard the song before in your life because it's so obscure that only someone like me would know because I'm a music historian. But you might listen to the song and be like, oh, my God, I can totally relate to it so much. My girlfriend and I have been quarantined for so long. We need to take a lover's holiday and we totally deserve it. And that's what the song is about. It's really all about it's a fake. It's a classic vacation song, you know, a couple that, you know, they love each other so much, but, you know, they really they feel like they need they need to, you know, go somewhere else. I mean, maybe we can slip away. We can stay till the break of day. I mean, we'll try not to overstay. But if we do, it's okay. We don't care what the people say. We'll just go our way. I mean, that's just unbelievable. The lyrics in the song are just so good because they're so relatable to couples especially right now we're just stuck in freaking quarantine and can't get out of their house but they want to take a lover's holiday and it's just the lyric of the song is so good because especially in the beginning of the chorus where he's kind of hinting that maybe they can kind of just go away for a while maybe we can slip away and take a lover's holiday i mean that's just maybe that that maybe is just so hinting that it'll, it'll probably happen and i'm sure that's probably happened with your girlfriend i mean you're probably like hey babe maybe we can, you know, take a little vacation for ourselves. We'll stay safe and we'll, you know, we won't go anywhere. We'll stay by ourselves in our little Airbnb. I mean, think about it. That's just so relatable to right now. It's not even funny, you know, but, you know, that lyric is just incredible. I I love how relatable that is, you know, because look, I mean, you know, it's just, it's one of those songs. And it, I, 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 I love how he says, you know, come this Friday night, everything's going to be uptight. We got plans, baby, that are out of sight. I mean, sorry, I've got plans, baby, that are out of sight. That means that, you know, he's kind of hinting that it's already going to happen. And maybe you've already surprised your girlfriend and be like, look, baby, come this Friday night, we're going to get out of the house and we're going to take a little vacation. And I'm sure that's definitely happened with you because, look, we've been in quarantine for a long ass time. You know, and we and it's really it's it's, you know, it's getting on, on our edges so much that, you know, 
a lot of times we just got to leave. We got to go somewhere else for a weekend. And that's what the song kind of evokes. It's all about that classic vacation vibe that happens, you know, when you're just feeling like you got to get away for a weekend. And the cold and the whole tying into a couple thing is just so relatable because let's just say you're in a relationship and you do want to get away with your girlfriend. This is the song for you because it totally talks about that. I mean, it's just so relatable. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, this is definitely for you. If you're if you got a girlfriend, you want to and you want to leave or if you got a boyfriend, you want to leave with him and you want to go somewhere else for a weekend. This is the song for you because it's all about that. I mean, it's just incredible. And just here's the thing. So one thing I wanted to mention before I close out this episode of this podcast, it's just some of the chemistry happening between uh, the, the duet performance between the, the, the guy and the girl in the song. And whether or not they were an actual couple, I'm not really sure. I really don't know if they were in love or not, or maybe they were like, uh, you know, brother and sister. I'm not really sure, but... I mean, just I don't actually I don't think they were brother and sister, but maybe they were a couple. Maybe they weren't. I'm not sure. But if you listen to I mean, just like I said before, the girls on top of the guy all the time, like vocally in the song. It's just unbelievable. But again, it's like that chemistry happening with the two singers in the song is really cool, too, because, you know, they say each other's names a lot in the song. I mean, I mean. Peggy Scott says Joe's name a couple different times in the song and that lyrical play but the lyrical chemistry between each other when they're singing a song is just so undeniably good I mean it's re- it's a really great song and it's just so relatable right now especially if you're in if you're if you're in a relationship with a girl or if you're a gr- if you're a girl in a relationship with a guy I mean it's just perfect because it really is all about taking a lover's holiday. And I'm sure you're probably thinking about taking a lover's holiday right now after being stuck in freaking quarantine for at least nine months now. I think we're in the we're in the nine month, ninth month of this. I, I could be wrong. I think we're in the eighth month. I don't really freaking know. I mean, it's just it's been going on forever. I, I'm, I'm losing track of time. You know, the days are becoming sort of, uh, you know, just blurred within each other. I mean, it's really is becoming like a next day kind of a time. But anyways, uh, I, I really think you guys will like the song a lot. And uh, let me know what you think of the song. You've never heard heard it before and you're a millennial and you're around my age. So that concludes part one, episode number 115 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams. And if you liked my analysis on this week's song and you thought the song was really, really good, you've never heard the song before. And you can really, really relate to the song's lyrics and you're around my age, but you don't really know anything about this artist at all. And you really want to be curious about their history and where this was recorded and who are the musicians in the track. And you don't know anything about this group at all. You can email me at samltwillieicloud.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. Um, you know, that is basically, uh, if you're around, if you're a millennial and you like the song, you never heard it before, please let me know. I loved it. I'd love to hear from you. I really would. Um, also you can check out the official Spotify and YouTube playlist for this podcast here. You'll be able to find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, including some of the ones I've done in interview episodes. Uh, you know, would love it if you guys can check those out. Then you're there, you can get an idea for the kind of music I talk about my show so far, you know, and hopefully that will, you know, give you some ideas for the kind of music I should talk about next on my podcast that I haven't yet. And if you have any of those ideas for the kind of songs I should I should cover next on my podcast that I haven't yet, 
please email those ideas to me at samltwilliagla.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies. And uh, yeah, and also you can contact me on my website, samltwilliagla.net. Okay, so also you can check out the official Red Rebel merch store for this podcast. You'll be able to find all this really cool merchandise that I, uh, you know, it's all online. You can order it and it'll ship right to your door. And it comes with a super cool logo that I came up with the idea for that someone else personally designed. It's to name my podcast and keep on trucking tie-dye font. We'll love it if you guys can check it out. And actually, it's the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode of my podcast in that specific kind of font. And with name my podcast in the bottom. So that those those things are on the logo. We'll love you guys could check it out. And if you love the logo and you and and if you like to purchase something from the store, please let me know by emailing me at samltwilliagla.com. Uh I, 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 as far as the next guest on my podcast, that girl, she said that she would uh, interview me on my podcast. I don't know exactly when that will happen because uh, she is not responding to me via email right now. I sent her a message on Instagram and she replied back and then I sent her another message, but she hasn't responded back to me yet. So, uh, it's kind of, that's kind of up in the air as of right now, but it's all good because you know how I, you know how I do with pot with, you know, specific interview guests, if they flake or if they, you know, if they don't happen, I'll just do something else on my podcast. I'll, you know, I'll keep going. Uh, you know, and also, uh, I did also did get some really cool information behind the scenes information on some great uh, Brill Building New York 60s records that as soon as I cover them, I'll definitely mention that information to you guys and give it to you guys. Might be, and, you, and again, a lot of this information you can't find on the Internet. It's super hard to find. And I actually talked to someone who was there for those sessions and he was very gracious to lend me that information. It was really, really cool. I really appreciated that from him. And yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm one of the people that he knows. I might have a guest on my podcast because one of the people he knows was an engineer. And that'd be cool to talk to an engineer from that time to get really good bird's eye view on the recording process of this time, you know, because he was someone who really knew that inside and out. I mean, that would just be amazing to talk to someone who actually knew about all the different microphone recording techniques they used back then and the, the EQs and the compressors and the tape machines and all that. I mean, that'd be so cool to talk to someone who was an actual engineer during the 60s and knew that whole recording process. So maybe I'll get to talk to him on my podcast but yeah so that would be that'd be super cool uh, i'll let you guys know if that winds up happening but also my birthday is coming up november 2nd if you guys want to wish me a happy birthday we'll love if you can do that uh you can do that by emailing me at samltwilliicloud.com or you can also reach out to me on instagram on her oldies but yeah so i'm sam williams and thank you guys for joining me with this week's episode of my podcast the millennial throwback machine until next week please keep things groovy